Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Todd Haynes' May-December. Joining me today, if it existed in this world, he'd be Nora's Ark's number one fan. It's Josh Brown. Josh, how's it going? Hey, please don't compare me to that teacher. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, th- we'll get to that. Uh, and also joining us, she just finished tending to her butterfly farm. It's Andrea DeWitt. Andrea, how's it going? Hello. Thank you for being here, Andrea. Today's episode, like I said, is about Todd Haynes' uh, May-December. It's uh, one of the newest uh, big releases on Netflix. It's Todd Haynes' follow-up to 2019's Dark Waters. I think Josh Hell did yeah. the podcast on that one. Uh, yeah, and uh, but like this but you're is forgetting in... 2020's The Velvet Underground Doc. Oh, was that in your top ten of that year? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I, I did not see that. Um, uh, but like, yeah, so it's 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 his first uh it's his first uh it's since Dark Waters. Uh, it 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 is set in 2015 largely. It follows a actress, a TV actress named Elizabeth Barry, played by Natalie Portman. She's arriving in Savannah, Georgia. To research her upcoming role for like an indie film she is doing based on the story of Gracie Atherton Yu, who is played by Julianne Moore, who in 1992, at the age of 36, was uh, caught having a, a sexual relationship with a 13-year-old named Joe, uh, who's who's schoolmate of her son, actually, uh, where they were caught, uh, you know, in, a, in in the stock room of a pet store, which, you know, in, in my in my opinion, was like, you know, that was a callback to uh, to the edge of 17, where they said, oh, you're going to want to, there's a lot of talk about pet, pet, pet land stock rooms in that movie. But anyway, this is actually kind of inspired by the story of Mary Kay Oterno, a teacher, as Josh indicated, in Washington, who had an inappropriate uh, relationship with her student who and she went to jail as gracie did in this movie and had had the kids of the kid who she raped uh and and then they continued a relationship afterward which is the case here in the case of mary Kay turno she had split up from uh oh god i forgot the, uh, I think something i think his name is something fill out god i forgot his name uh but they, they had split up by the time she died in 2020 in this movie gracie and uh joe are still together they have uh, a kid that's in college two two more that are about to go off to college and she has like multiple kids from her first family who are they and grandkids that are now the same age as her kids graduating high school so a lot going on there and uh, elizabeth is in town to research uh for the role and for this movie and they've invited her into her lives but that you know brings up a lot of old uh complications and uh stirs a lot of drama as you would expect to in a smaller town like savannah where something so notorious happened uh, I'm actually going to start with Josh first. Josh, like I said, we we did Dark Waters in 2019, which is uh, a bit different for Todd Haynes. You know, he doesn't he's not really known as like the legal procedural kind of director. And, and so in some ways, like kind of doing this kind of, you know, uh, subject revisiting this type of subject matter, if you will, or so, a story of this nature seems a little bit more like familiar ground for him. But I'm curious because I've never done a podcast on any of his movies. Actually, I might have done a I would have done a podcast on Carol way back on my old podcast. But like I've never really talked to you about him be, beyond dark waters which is again a kind of different terrain for him so i'm wondering like you know i'm not as i I really have not done my research as much as i should have on his pre-carol films just haven't seen any of them i meant to get to him and i just ran out of time and i'm assuming you've seen most if not all of them i'm wondering like how you generally feel about todd haynes when he's kind of like working in this mode and what about uh may december really worked for you so with todd haynes like you know He's in that 50s, 60s age bracket, so he's not quite old auteur. But like with Todd Haynes, like I have like a kind of complicated relationship with him as a director where 
I'm kind of like lukewarm towards him. Like, you know, I know like his themes, which is, you know, complicated loves and like, you know, he was part of the new queer cinema and like his earlier stuff were very transgressive, like Karen, this uh, superstar, the Karen Carpenter story where he's telling this biopic about Karen Carpenter but and tackling her anorexia, but all through Barbie dolls. And like, it's still like an underground film that you can't see to this day because of the music rights. Um, but like lately, he's sort of kind of became one of those like Oscar Todd's like him and Todd Fields, where you don't really hear about them for very long until it's like award season. And then you kind of forget about their movies. He's a lot more prolific than Todd Field. Yeah, yeah. He as of late, as of late. And part of the reason why he's more prolific now is because since Carol, most of his narrative features have been films that he directed for hire, where there's a pre-existing script that he did not write. He's not, he's not only old, he's not in full art tour mode anymore. So he's really not one of you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's stuff, there's elements of his stuff that should be up my alley. Like he's a huge fan of Douglas Sirk. Like a lot of like his films are like Far From Heaven are referencing, you know, these like 50s melodramas that he's very like uh, fond of. And again, like this film, you know, even though it's not written by him, it kind of falls into a lot of his thematic stuff. Well, you know, the transgressive nature about like a complicated romance that's sort of forbidden, that's like in Far From Heaven from Carol. Um, and and it's also this kind of can't be, but he would push back on that. And to be fair, um, there's a reason we probably get into it why it's not fully camp, but like it has like all these elements that, you know, permeates his other works, which makes him like a perfect hand at the helm. Interesting. Andrea, uh, you are typically our correspondent for movies involving therapy. Funny enough, this is a movie about a bunch of people who could probably use some therapy. And I don't believe the word <laughs> therapy is uttered the whole entire time. I follow you on Letterboxd, though, and know you appreciate like all kinds of movies. But like when you're watching something like this, I'm curious, are, are you appreciating it on the level of like, oh, man, like I. I can't believe like how messed up these people are. And are you, are you trying to like analyze them more or are you enjoying like other aspects of the film more? Like how, how are you able to appreciate something like this? Uh, well, it's, it's always hard to divorce yourself from your profession. You know, like <laughs> I'm sure if you, if you watch movies uh, about legal issues, like you can't just erase oh, the knowledge oh yeah. you have I'm, from your head, you know, I like, a ton. it's just an aspect of, watching the film but it's still it's still a film so like am i analyzing these characters <laughs> and their mindsets and everything yes yes of course i am but um <laughs> but i also you know appreciate the filmmaking the acting mm -hmm. the score like mm, this was that, a yeah. movie yeah this was a movie that really like worked on a lot of levels and that i enjoyed for lots of reasons but one of those is absolutely the um the character dynamics their psychology and the the interpersonal relationships absolutely yeah going in like i i don't i think i first of all i don't know i think i know that before like i started reading about this movie and stuff i knew the name mary kay Laterno, and i'm sure i had kind of like heard of those kind of relationships happening before but i wasn't like specifically familiar with that story necessarily and going into this one like i knew there was like maybe an age gap romance component to the story, but I didn't know like what the story was before I actually watched May December. So I was like, Oh wow, this is like a uh, kind of messed up stuff. Once I kind of got the gist of what it was, but at the same time, like I, th I think the biggest thing and Josh got at it a little bit when he's talking about the campiness of the movie, but like there is some like, it's it's in some ways like a dark comedy which i didn't necessarily see coming and i and i just really appreciated that because that doesn't mean that there's not serious moments but there's just 
when with this particular subject matter and it's a very impressive tightrope he had to walk i was like oh wow like i mean this is kind of weird that i'm like laughing out loud like consistently throughout different parts of this movie but at the same time like they're doing some things especially in the back half of the movie where they are still handling these dramatic moments like uh with the care that they deserve and i guess i just was very impressed that Todd Haynes was able to do that. And yes, he's not the writer, but like, obviously like, you know, you could take the same script and uh, just direct it a little differently. And it plays as a straight drama. I would think that's, that, that's what impressed me the most. And that intentional humor is like why Todd Haynes pushes back on the people calling it camp because camp by its nature, if we ever read like Susan Sontag's uh, notes on camp, like she would say like camp is something that's like unintentionally mm-hmm. hilarious right mm-hmm. like that's when you enter camp it's like the people who made it are very sincere about it and you know it kind of uh misfires in terms of how people receive it yeah we're, we're, we're running out of hot dogs i don't think that was uh you know uh, an unintentionally funny line yeah and it, exactly like <laughs> i they, don't think we have enough hot dogs yeah that was good yeah yeah like, and also like to Feet, uh, Haynes's direction of it, like whether it's the use of the music, which is like an old score that he's sampling from um, this uh, 1960s film called The Go Between, um, or like the way he's zooming in uh, when Julianne Moore is um, opening the fridge and the cut to the hot dogs. Like that's all like Haynes using the humor of the script and using his technique to like punch it through. So like the film is clearly aware of it. And it also... What I find like kind of interesting, too, is like how they're kind of like examining Portman and more together, like how they're some how the movie is somewhat mocking them, but like not in like a way that is like feels like exploitative. I liked the incorporation of humor and like tonal nuances so Mm. that it's not just heavy handed drama the whole time. Um, Mm. I think that really does make the story more like multidimensional and that really complements the characters because these are multidimensional characters. And as Charles Melton's character says at one point, like, this isn't a story, this is my life. His his whole life, it's not all drama. It's not all misery and sadness. Like there are moments of lightheartedness. It just, it makes it feel more real. You, you quoting that line of his from the movie also kind of made me think of like the moment where he is like walking along with Elizabeth and he's like, I'm not sure I trust that you're going to like put this out there in the right way. And I've, I've, I've seen some people talk about it a little bit but like, you know, do you, and, I, and whether it's unintentional or intentional, you can't help but th- think about like, you know, whether or not the movie's asking us to like think about that, you can't help but think about the fact that like just general audiences and how they like h- handle stories like this in the press. If like if they're if they're turning a mirror on us at all and like, you know, how much of a problem we are for like that, but also because there's a demand for this kind of story, like they're even, that's why they're even there in the first place at this thing. And they're inviting them into their house. It's noted that the their house was probably waterfront home was probably paid for by like them selling stuff to like family stuff to like tabloids and whatnot. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, like these people are kind of screwing up their lives even more, but like, you know, we might, we might cover this. We might handle this stuff differently as a society. If like people didn't want to like consume all the content for like the word details, as opposed to like, you know, just treating it like what it is, which is, you know, statutory rape. Yeah. And like um, in terms of like the sensationalism, like and how the movie handles it, like that's where like I feel like the movie is like very smart and like, okay, like one movie that comes to mind is uh, the Nicole Kidman, Gus Van Sant movie to die for, which is also about like a teacher 
are sort of manipulating a student and how that becomes sensationalized with the media. And like, I think the movie's aesthetic is sort of mirroring like deliberately, like the aesthetic of like these like lifetime movies and how Mm -hmm. we're also like prestige lifetime movie. I've seen that term thrown about a couple of times. Yeah, but I think it's deliberately doing so, you know, Mm -hmm. while also like indicting that type of thing, especially like towards the end of the film. But also it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the end of like Killers of the Flower Moon of where like Scorsese comes out and it's just like, uh, yeah, you know, like it's not really my story to tell or whatever, but this is how like this, you know, tragedy gets exploited through the media and how and our retelling of it. Like the movie is kind of like self-aware that in some way it's like having a hand in the sensationalism. And I think actually, if anything, the movie is more focused in satirizing the sensationalism of this story rather than actual teacher aspect of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like they, yes, it's, it's, it's kind of satirizing it, but it's also interesting that like they, the way they approach just looking at the family before it really gets into it. Like it's in some ways, and they even commented on it within the movie. It's like, they've like become a regular part of the community, like on the surface kind of like, obviously people are going to talk about them behind their backs and whatnot, but like they, they just like, they have kids, they they're there, they have friends in the community. Like some of them just like are choose to be like, accepting of them and i and i'm curious what you think about like how the movie comes down on gracie as a character at all just overall because you know she's they they even have it's even mentioned when uh, elizabeth meets with her lawyer it's like they're still not sure she realizes she ever did anything wrong at all and she's just in denial about it i don't know if that choice in and of itself is like satire but it's certainly a character choice within the movie to like portray this woman this way and just be like that she's like so oblivious to everything and that's like yeah obviously i want to talk about joe a lot because it becomes his story later on and how he is stunted but like it seemed like she was really stunted as well and that's like i don't want to say it's turning him into caricatures but it is like you know putting its own spin on this kind of story that like i mean and, and she makes that character choice to talk with the lisp too that like doesn't that only kind of enhances all of it. I, I, I am curious, like, how did, how did you take in that character specifically, Andrea? Because she is just like, I, I, it's, it's just, it's such a, such an odd, such an odd duck to like be at the center of a movie, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's so much to talk about with her character. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of, does she think she did anything wrong? Absolutely not. I do not believe that she believes she did anything wrong. Um, And you can see that a lot in her language. Um, Like she's clearly a very manipulative person, but I don't think she realizes she's being manipulative. And you can see that in more than just the fact that she had sex with a 13 year old and then continued to groom him until he became her husband. But in ways that she talks to him as an adult still. So like the one that comes to mind when he finally gets the courage to say like, I want to talk about, was I too young? Like, this is how I'm feeling. Why can't we talk about it? And she says, who was in charge, you know? And you can just tell when she says that, that is a line that they that they both used as justification for for what happened when he was a child and she also was that she says that he had had sex with two people before then yes. and she only had sex with one therefore he was just <laughs> therefore he was just as experienced with her and in charge like it's wild justification sure she says she says you seduced me uh who was in charge and that and she, clearly she was trying to prompt him to say i was in charge mm-hmm. i was 
so you can you can know and you can understand just in that 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 is language that has happened between them before and it's language that she uses to lead him in to the mindset of i was in charge and of course when you're a 13 year old you're easily manipulated into believing that he was in charge like if he you know leaned in to kiss her first or whatever you can make him believe that that means he's in charge. That means he's seducing her. So she absolutely, I think, justified her actions in her own mind and then, you know, manipulated him into believing it as well. How do you, how do you think the movie wants us to feel about her? Do you think they like want us to have some level of sympathy for her? Because they kind of portray her as being kind of pathetic at times, too. Sure. Um, I don't know if the movie necessarily wants us to... I don't know. I I I really And it also seems like her kids kind of hate her, even yeah, the ones like from the second marriage. No, because remember, like the her kid kind of sticks up for her in the Natalie Portman acting class when she's like, "Why would you want to portray someone you think is a bad person?" And she gets upset about it. So I I think that the kids, it's, it's you know, sure, just as any any person who is the result of a rape, you know, you know that one of your parents was raped by the other like you you have to feel some sort of way about that but you still have to live you have to be you know form your own identity and move on with your life and and for these kids they grew up in this household you know surrounded by both of their parents mm. and so they perceive this as normal i'm sure that they have heard the justifications that have been s cemented into their dad's mind as well but anyway sorry to get back to like what our judgment of gracie is supposed to be i really like that the movie showed both sides of it because i do think that you know people in general are not just as good as their worst actions you know, mm. so like even rapists and murderers and people who have done the worst things imaginable are still human beings. They're still going to have emotions. They're still going to love their families. So has she done something awful? Yes, she absolutely has. And do her kids still love her? Yes, they do. She's a human. And I think it, it really does portray her as a human. I like that it showed at the very beginning when her friend told Natalie Portman, like, just be kind, you know, mm. be kind to her. But then there's people who are mailing her boxes of shit, you know? So I definitely think it portrayed her as a manipulative child rapist, but who is but is who is still a human, you know? So who is allowed to have other good qualities as well? I like that it's not a hundred percent like black and white. She's just completely evil. Like she has some charming qualities as well. Yeah, yeah like pineapple um, upside down cake seems pretty hot fire, you know. Uh, <laughs> or, or, oh, that was another moment of manipulation where she's oh, like, "I thing. made this cake." Oh, and they can't eat the cake, and then you know it becomes about her, and she's needing comfort. So it's just, she's very like histrionic, very like cluster B. So yeah, just... someone someone I someone I follow on Letterbox, I can't remember if it was one of our friends or someone else, was like most impressed by the moment of her performance where like or Charles Melton's performance when he comes into the house when she's crying about the cake and like he just before he even knows he's home, he hears her crying and he just says fuck like under his breath for like five seconds because he just like knows he's in for a long night and then it gets even wilder when she like he has to eat the cake and tell her how great it is um josh what what yeah you're trying to say a couple things about her oh yeah so i think like you know the movie 
um, it obviously doesn't condone her like behavior in terms of like her relationship with Charles Melton. Like it's pretty obvious, like the film, like it's not saying that this is like a good person. However, it's presenting her like realistically as this complex person, as Andrea was saying. But I was like kind of getting at with um, the manipulation. I kind of would push back against Andrea in regards to how her children feel about her because I think her how manipulative she comes across is also in that scene where her like daughter is uh, trying out like a homecoming dress or whatever and like she's saying like these very like passive aggressive like oh that's brave of you to like show off your arms and then you have like their other the oldest daughter that like is out and in college that comes back and clearly has um, a fractured relationship with the mother and it's kind of now at the age where she's like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. And not to mention like with her previous family, her son um, definitely is messed up. But to get into the complex portrayal of her, the other thing about that is there's a question of whether or not she herself is a victim of abuse. Like, you know, like in a movie is somewhat ambiguous about it because we hear two things. And the other part where she comes across as manipulative is like towards the end of the movie, it feels like she might have actually gotten the upper hand on Natalie Portman's character. Like this whole time, you know, like Natalie Portman has her own goals, her own ambitions, and she's using this story for her own ends. And it looks like, you know what, like when they have that standoff at the graduation, it looks like maybe Gracie has the upper hand. And then the other thing I would say in terms of like how like Gracie is like how the movie feels about Gracie. It's like, yeah, like she's this complicated like person who's did this thing that's really messed up. But also the movie's not easy on like Natalie Portman's character like in some ways Natalie Portman's character is just as a monster as her I was gonna ask I was gonna ask you that was the next thing I was gonna do that was to ask you like I mean we'll talk more about Gracie when we talk more about Joe but I was curious with Natalie Portman like god she put she puts on quite the act to like seem like she has it all together and because she's very self-conscious about the fact that like I, like I joked earlier about that Nora's arc show like we get little snippets of people talking to her about how they like the show and different episodes of things she had to do with certain animals like it seems like a goofy ass show that she's like trying to be taken seriously as an actress by doing this thing and wants to put on this certain like you know I don't, I don't know just pomp and circumstance yeah of just being a, a quote-unquote air quote serious actress because of that and uh, so like she's trying to like act all like serious on the surface when she doesn't actually see she's probably not actually that serious of a person and I'm because I'm wondering if it's like trying to make fun of actors and just the, the creative process and the dangers of the creative processes in some ways or if it was trying to say something even darker about like just that person in particular and like what your big takeaways were like from that character well one of the things one of uh, the reviews that I read about like the movie was focusing on Natalie Portman's uh, performance and like this person was not a fan of Natalie Portman as an actress, but um, this person, like some other people, kind of find like Natalie Portman a very mechanical actor. Or very, very mannered. And yeah, mannered yeah. act actress. Like, you know, Jackie would be an example where for some people you can't get past like the accent that she's doing the entire movie. Um, and like they were making the point that like actually her best performances is sort of when she's playing a performer or a bad actress. And so like mm. you can see that like Natalie Portman's character in this movie is almost like a fractured mirrored version of her, like the same actress taking the same like seriousness uh, um, for a part. And ultimately it leads to the film's ultimate punchline that is for this like 
really dumb, like crass, like, you know, lifetime movie. And, and it's kind of funny, like um, the scene in which the two like scenes that are kind of where like Natalie Portman's having a lot of fun with this character is when she goes to the pet shop and then she's like starts feeling herself and like pretending to be like Gracie in that moment. Or, and one of my favorite touches is that when she goes to the high school and she's still in full Gracie mode, she even ha is starting to talk with a lisp, but she starts to like flirt with some of the high school students as well. And I was just like, those were like the little touches, like the details that I, I like in terms of like, you know, she's trying to embody this character, you know, and she's slowly kind of becoming Julianne Moore's. Well, yes. So, so you're saying Elizabeth is embodying that character while mm -hmm. at the same time natalie portman is giving like she's really giving a performance within a performance more so than almost anyone yeah. else in the movie even if gracie herself is kind of too yeah and that's why i think like honestly like portman is like one of my performances like this movie i like the central trio trio a lot and like a lot of the attention is like been given to you know the breakout charles melton deservedly and we'll get to him later but like i really do think like the multi-layers to portman's performance and like the weird humor that she's finding in it as well i think you know is i think probably some of her best work uh, and, and, i'll delete this but andrew if, if, if you're worried about the coughing just just know that uh that's part of why daniel likes doing the separate tracks thing so he can like isolate yours okay. and then just and then cut them out so don't feel I'm bad sorry, if you're coughing lift up my uh, like you can also you can also mute yourself. That's the other thing. You can also mute yourself. Oh, I guess I could do that. Um, if you, if you <laughs> feel it coming on, that. sometimes you can't control it. But just don't feel bad if you feel like you're. I don't know. Okay. As a loyal listener, <laughs> Josh. Mm -hmm. As a loyal <laughs> listener, Josh. I don't know. Like if she starts choking or vomiting on, like that's what I live for. Like that's uh, what you I. You want the real stuff. Yeah, I want honesty. Just like uh, uh, what's what's Natalie Portman's character? Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, I want I want an authentic performance here. well so she keeps saying that throughout the movie that's uh, uh it's, it's funny it's like she's like you know oh i everyone's skeptic every time so anyone expresses any kind of skepticism of uh, of the whole entire enterprise she's like you know i'm just hoping i can find some truth here i'm hoping i can get to something that's true and it, she just she keeps it's like she's like almost like she's telling herself that as much as anything else because it the movie starts questioning even if like is this even that productive because she starts overstaying like literally the amount of time that the that the film that she's making budgeted for her to be there and she's just like getting so deep in and like it's she's trying to like convince herself like this is a worthwhile endeavor and it's hilarious too like because like um one of like you know when they're like casting the boys to play um the young charles oh Martin god that character. was so hilarious yeah oh. like like they end up just going with someone that <laughs> well she literally tells the director on the phone yeah like i I've, I've watched them but none of them are sexy enough i'm like oh my god i can't believe like she actually just said that but it was that was like one of the more darkly funny moments too uh andrew, jarring. yeah i know <laughs> like andrew well like what what jumped on what jumped out to you about that character because there was like oh i mean as messed up as the uh as the two people that are a part of the actual couple in this movie are like she might be more messed up than both of them oh yeah she's fucked up no question <laughs> about it um i just feel like she is kind of just unethical <laughs> in, <laughs> like that's I feel like that's the best word to put to it like she's kind of willing to cross any line I found it 
very gross and off-putting when she was like, you know, went to visit Joe at work and she's like, you know, oh, I can already tell what it was like sneaking around with you. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Like, she's just kind of openly flirting with him, but I don't feel like it's coming from any place of actually being attracted to this man. She's trying to walk in Gracie's footsteps for the purpose of the film. And then, of course, eventually when they end up sleeping together, that is <laughs> very gross and unethical to me. Um, because again, I don't, you know, he even says, like, I thought this was because we had a connection. I thought it was because you liked me. And she says, I do like you, but I don't buy it, Elizabeth. I don't she, buy and, it. And then she also says, this is just what grownups do. This is what grownups do. Yeah, that was an incredible line. But I feel like you know you can even see like when he he goes to the bathroom and she immediately pulls out that letter to read like she is just doing research for a part mm -hmm. and this is a man's life this is he's cheating on his wife and she's apparently cheating on her fiance too it's just like anybody's feelings go completely out the window it's just very cold and calculating and just not caring about anybody else's feelings. And it is so starkly contrasted with just an incredible performance by Charles Melton. Like he is so real and emotional in that scene. And she is just, you know, so, so cold and calculating, like this is just what grownups do. And like, I guess in a way it's true, like in a way, you know, like hooking up with someone for, Elizabeth, like that is just kind of hooking up with someone because she's an adult and she's been in other, presumably she's been in other sexual relationships and had other one night stands and he hasn't, he is stunted in his childhood. So, you know, it was an incredibly powerful and fucked up scene. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like, he's just operating with like reckless abandon throughout. And it's just like, it just really does feel like that's her true self. Even if she has those moments where she does seem like kind of in control of certain situations, it's like, no, nah, like she's just like there to like at all costs to like do something that feels good and right to her in the moment. So she can claim she's, you know, getting at something that's going to make her performance better. Cause again, she just, she's very selfish. She's like in it for herself to like improve her reputation. H had you ever watched Riverdale before Andrea? I have not. No, no I, I not, not either. So it. I only, I only knew Charles Melton because uh, I, I didn't realize this, Josh, I guess we've technically talked about one of his movies before he played the guy at the end of bad boys three and. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Uh, All right. So yeah, he does have some pedigree here then. Yeah, so I don't know if he's going to be in the new Bad Boys movie that's coming out or not. It seemed like they were setting that guy up to be in another one. And then he had an episode of Poker Face, the Ryan Johnson Peacock show, where he played like a, a race car driver who like had a massive ego and was like cocky and like a douche. So I'm like actually really impressed with him without having seen Riverdale because I've seen him like do a ton of stuff. And like that's like an, that's, like, an incredibly tight I, – I used the term tightrope earlier, but like it's, I, I, I don't even think that's the right term here. But it's just like the, the, the way he has to like – it's just, it's just a tough ask, I would say, of any actor to like convincingly play someone that like was stunted at that age in some ways, but still isn't like acting like a immature 13 year old. You can just tell like emotionally he kind of is, even if he seems like an OK dad to these kids and is able to like put on like a, you know, an adult, like an adult disposition at times, but like is clearly troubled and stunted in other ways. Like it can't be an easy thing to do. So I came across like really impressed with him. 
Yeah, and like um, that scene with him and his son on the rooftop is just so like devastating because that's when it's like really blatantly obvious like how much like a like and it's also good casting in that like the kid that's playing his son kind of looks like him like they look like they're like brothers almost and like he's going like he's trying pot for the first time with his son and it's and like he's having this complete meltdown on a roof which by the way. Do not recommend. Um, <laughs> and like when you see him like in that sequence at, on the rooftop where it's just like clear that like his son is going to have experiences that he did not have because of this relationship to uh, Gracie. And that, and I think that's when he becomes at least more aware of like, oh, man, has my whole life been like a lie his son has already had experiences that he didn't you know like there's such a huge difference between 13 and 18 which <laughs> his kid is you know like his kid right. is sitting with him about to go away to college as an 18 year old like so much happens between 13 and 18 i mean you know with, with, without, i'm sure without, we all with, tried pot for the first time in that age well, window i know well, i did well let me say i did not <laughs> And uh, without without I'll say no comment because I am a working teacher. And, you know, <laughs> without, without without comment, all I will say is that you know I saw like two hundred movies between like thirteen and eighteen. I know yeah. that you know. Yeah, I think I mean we 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 must. We, it sounds like we all had different teenage years. Without commenting <laughs> on things I have consumed, one thing I have never without coming commenting on other things I have consumed. One thing I have never done is smoked. Uh, and I will say that like, uh, I, that, that was like, wait, is that going to be me in like 25 years with like, if I have a kid that like, you know, just makes some different choices. Like, I want to see that movie journal. I, 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 I would not know how to like, like, so I, I was once in a position actually where like there was a, um, this is this is going re really off the uh, off off the oh, don't path tell here. me that you had <laughs> a relationship I... with a teacher during her voice <laughs> sorry not that not that exciting uh but like i was in a position once where i was around a professional athlete during one of my jobs back when i kind of worked in sports and uh the let's just say the professional athlete was uh was in a hotel room and he like offered me like a beer from a mini bar and uh and then and then this athlete also then uh, like pulled out and like started smoking a bowl and i was like deathly afraid of someone that like at that point i was uh 23 and i had never smoked anything like i, I part of it's because like i have family has like long issues in its history it's like better to just not consume things that way but it's like if there was ever a time where i was gonna like try smoking weed it might be like when this professional athlete is like sh sharing his stuff with me it's like <laughs> i that i hard to say no to that in that moment but at the same time i'm balancing that against the fact that like if i were to do it i don't know how and i'd make an ass out of myself because i wouldn't like i would just like just like, coughing all over myself like like joe did and i'm like it's like man do i do i do i want the story of saying i smoked to the professional athlete or do i want to look lame in front of the professional athlete when i try to smoke and he, he he didn't actually end up offering it to me but i was like freaking out contemplating this thinking he was going to because he was already sharing his alcohol with me and i and I, I i can give you guys more details about that off the air i didn't want to put this guy on blast but like <laughs> I, it was just i was just what i thought about like man am i going to be that guy someday if i'm in a position with my kid like well, i want to be able to say i i, I well i want to be the cool dad like i don't know uh, but it, and it's funny because it's like it's it, that that scene is in some ways you can like again it's another moment in the movie where like in some ways you can laugh at it in other ways it's like oh, shit that seemed like a skeleton key to like making him like realize a bunch of shit that like he had clearly been suppressing to that point in the movie it's a really interesting choice and there's also a lot of tension in that scene because the whole time I'm like is he gonna fall off that roof please don't fall off that roof my guy and then he uh, almost does when the women are paying attention yeah yeah and then um and then like something that like Todd Field does like is in 
especially in that scene uh, when like the women arrive is, um, you know, he's really obsessed with like symmetry and like these like dual forces together. Like one of the main influences on this movie is Persona and you get like the sequence um, that is sort of riffing on Persona, which is about like these two women that are sort of like kind of falling in love with each other, but also morphing into each other. And it's the scene where they're in the mirror. And again, like that's the thing, like this whole movie, there's a lot of like reflections, a lot of mirrors, like duality is like a thing that's like a constant like presence in the film. But the scene where Portman and Moore like doing each other's makeup and it's just you see like Portman is slowly taking notes of like in becoming Gracie. And I just thought that was like really well done. And I'm kind of like curious what Andrea thinks of like sort of the psychology of it. Like, do you think like Portman will like can just easily shake off like the aspects of Gracie's that she's like picked up like throughout like her time in that in Savannah? Um, do I think she'll be able to shake it off? Yes, probably, because she's, you know, a professional actress. And also and... possibly a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> also does not care very much about people's feelings. I won't go so far as to say she's a psychopath, but definitely very unethical. Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I definitely also picked up on the, like, motif of the the mirrors and everything and reflections. I really liked the scene in the, um, the shopping uh center with the mirrors and the daughter is trying on the dresses yeah i don't really know if that's supposed to signal to the audience like these two women are mirroring each other or if it's putting a mirror to the audience themselves um like what do you see of yourself in these two women um but yeah it's an it's an interesting motif for sure we're not really doing a spoilerly section of the movie. We've kind of already talked about everything, but like, oh, it was interesting. I think some people, I, I, I saw it some, I saw someone, I don't know who it was, Josh. Someone referred to it as a Tar-esque ending. I uh, just yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. That, they, that they did it in, like that in that moment. And uh, it just specifically on like this ridiculous looking version of this movie that they have all been working towards. Though I guess probably not as ridiculous as the TV movie that we get glimpses of throughout the movie that was already done on their story. I guess this is supposed to be the serious version, but it still does not look like that serious. But like, it's just, I don't know, like going through and like seeing everything that like she's doing. I, I, I you, you, you think it would mess some people up. But again, I, I'm just kind of of the opinion, like, you know, I think this lady can just like, I think she can be on to the next one. And so I didn't really leave it being like that worried about like what was going to happen to her one. Cause one, not a good person. I'm not as concerned with her as I probably am for Joe, who is like a victim in all this. And, and it, but, but also like, seems like she's probably going to be able to like, you know, compartmentalize in a way that like you kind you kind of worry for the Joe character. And it's, and, and it's, I think it's, the movie is very smooth in the way that it all of a sudden becomes about Joe. It's like, it's like before you even realize it, it's like, Oh wow, this is actually now um, his story. And I want to, bring it back a little bit to like we talked about earlier with the way the way the ways they were manipulating each other but what did you guys think about him like kind of finally coming to that realization like oh like this is actually like you know trying to talk to gracie about it and it does it does result in like that conversation we already talked about we were talking about it more from her perspective though and how she was manipulating him but he's like yeah we, there's like a lot of things you like never really talked about like what did you think andrea about like how it showed him like slowly coming to grips with it from that perspective, whether it is in that conversation with Gracie or like, you know, like his perspective of it after he, he sleeps with Elizabeth. It, 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 I, I, again, we, we all, all, all talked about how we really liked his performance, but did you have any other feelings about just like how the movie all of a sudden like changes perspectives in that way and all of a sudden like makes you look at how it's all affected him? 
Uh, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was very hopeful. I think anyone who has suffered abuse or been in an inherently in a relationship where a, a power dynamic is at play, there's a power imbalance, um, and has been in one for so long, it really kind of is like that trope of saying like, oh, a frog jumps into water and then you start to boil it, it's just going to stay in there because it's like a steady increase versus if a frog jumps into a pot of water that's already boiling, it's going to jump right back out. So Joe is a frog that has been in this abusive relationship for 20 something years, starting when he was a child. As the degrees slowly get turned up, you know, he's just already in that mindset. So to break out of that is something that is so, so difficult. And it's why a lot of people in abusive relationships don't leave because they don't, you know, they start to buy into the lines that their abuser is telling them. They're doing the mental gymnastics in order to justify their partner's actions. Um, So that's what he's been doing for 20 years. So the first inkling that he's going to break out of it, to me, is very hopeful. So even though like somebody leaving an abusive relationship is so painful and it's gonna it's gonna get worse before it gets better so that's what i think for joe is seeing him go through so much pain and crying and starting to realize what has been done to him it's gonna get worse before it gets better for joe but it is gonna get better and so i was very happy to see it that's how i felt when i did another podcast i was like i finally was able (laughs) to leave josh and break the cycle Oh, quick question, though. Like, yeah. do you think part of him, like, leaving this relationship is him following through on that, like, you know, secret relationship he sort of has with that mm. member of the Facebook group? I think that's important because a lot of people don't leave. Re- like, that's kind of the last straw for a lot of people in relationships that are not working is starting to develop feelings for someone else. Um, that kind of is the catalyst a lot of the time. Um, so I think... You know, he it's kind of clearly portrayed that he's flirting with this woman, whatever. And then he just kind of like sleeps with Elizabeth, like kind of out of nowhere to me, I felt like. And that shows me he's kind of grasping for connection, you know, like he's he's he really wants it. He does not have it in his marriage. So, you know, that could be a catalyst for him eventually ending his marriage with Gracie. What's interesting too, I, as I was thinking about it, as you guys were just making those points, was that there are like multiple times throughout the movie where just he and Elizabeth are like hanging out and like she makes a comment about him, like whether it be like him being a victim or like how the situation is, isn't like, yeah, I don't think her intentions are all that pure throughout. She's just trying to get rises out of these people, get reactions out of them, trying to get them to reveal more about themselves. But she does make multiple comments throughout about like him, like, you know, being whether it be the victim or someone that like, you know, has suffered because of this or is in a tougher situation, he pushes, he's pushing back on it initially, you know, before it kind of all comes crumbling down. I don't think she's doing that again to be helpful, but there, there are like multiple points where he gets defensive about it. He's like, well, and he's just trying to talk out, talk it out. Like it's logical. He's like, well, obviously like we wouldn't have stayed together all these years if we weren't happy. Like there are multiple moments like that where he's being defensive at first. And she's like kind of prodding at him. 
And uh, it's funny, like, I don't know to the extent that like it was that sub those moments subconsciously or just like, you know, the, the experience of the sun, the answer is probably all of the above. Like all this stuff is just kind of like coming to a head. And at a certain point, like, you know, someone's going to see going, someone's going to see the light. And that's what we kind of get to see in the movie. And he I thought I thought I just again, I just thought he, I did. A, he did a great job of playing that. He probably they, they all had hard jobs in the movie. But like I, 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 I had my hardest time wrapping around like how you how you put that performance on screen that charles milton did yeah i mean just well chef's kiss to him all the all the performances were incredible but he was like slam dunk so good and the movie probably like falls apart like the most if he's not on their level you know yeah yeah and it's like i mean not that there's like i mean i guess there's other actors that age they could have done something that they could have gotten for the role that are probably a little more known than him though he's obviously known to like a large segment of certain demographic but like the the riverdale demographics crossover with may december who knows maybe not that big if they don't have charles you know charles melton in the role uh very 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 impressive josh is there anything else about the movie yet that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on well you know um i think we kind of kept alluding to like the punchline ending of the film Mm, where like when we get to finally see the movie that elizabeth is working on it's like this trash it does not look good (laughs) (laughs) um and it's just and that's where like i think you know um i think the filmmakers get like defensive about the fact that like um when people call it camp where it's like no no like they're in on the joke in fact like probably the thing that elizabeth is making is actually camp something that is taking itself way too seriously and does not understand like you know the unintentional hilarity of it um but yeah, no, I think like, you know, this movie, um, I think it's like a great like satire about like, you know, I think sort of mostly about like the media and, and like the efficacy of telling these like stories that are still about people whose lives are being affected by it. Then like the actual, you know, I think it would have been too easy if this movie was just like an indictment on, you know, Mary Kay Letourneau. Yeah, it's a, I definitely aspiring to be something uh, more than that, and I think it accomplishes that. Andrew, anything else about May-December that we didn't already talk about? Any other final points you wanted to make? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty much touched on, like, the main three characters. Those are, like, you know, the main <laughs> the main things that held my interest. Well, I think it's funny that you said that, because the one thing I was going to say was that, like, I it goes to both the performances and the the production i guess overall but like i want to give them props for shooting on location uh i i was i actually went to savannah for the first time uh, about a little over a year ago and uh you could tell that they did and that combined with like that they have elizabeth go around and like interview people and do a lot of different talking to other people whether it be you know the uh elizabeth or gracie's first husband or uh elizabeth's lawyer or excuse me gracie's lawyer i i, I just thought that combined with like you know doing a good job of like capturing Savannah, oh, gave it a real sense of place. Uh, I don't, I, I don't have a ton of details for like how they made it feel 2015 as opposed to 2023. There's enough time spent with them just like walking around and driving around and just like being in different bit restaurants in that town that I felt like I had a good sense of like where they were and it felt like the small town that it was, such that like it was interesting to think about what this particular story happening in this particular place would like you know what what that lasting impact would be and how the different people in the town would feel about it and i so i i just thought todd haynes did a really good job of capturing that and i wonder you know that's actually an interesting point because like something i always find 
uh, especially like filmmakers of uh, like Todd's generation, once like directors get like in their 40s or 50s, like they mostly kind of just make period pieces. And now I think this movie is set in like the not too distant past, but it's kind of like a outlier in uh, his filmography in that it's like the rare. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah, he does not. Yeah, all of his stuff is period. Yeah, even like Dark Waters, which is like late 90s, mid 2000s, like, Mm -hmm. it, you know, all his stuff is like period. So, you know, I this is the thing like I, right now, like Todd is sort of on a roll for me where, Mm. you know, I used to be very cold on his work. Like I wasn't like, you know, I didn't like hate Carol, but I wasn't like moved by it like some other people um, or Carol's like like Carol is like life changing for some people. uh, was a life changer for you. No, it was, it was just an okay movie for me. But like, I mean, it, Oh, the, okay. the fact that you're cold on his other stuff, I, I just know a lot of people that love that movie, but the fact that you're some cold on his other stuff, I don't feel as bad. I haven't watched Safe and Far From Heaven, but like, I, I do feel bad. I have not seen I'm not, I'm not There. I feel like that's something I need to watch. Uh, Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, you just need it for the Kate Blanchett performance as Dylan. right, That's right, pretty right, cool. right, right. Yeah. But like, but he's been on a roll for me where it's like, yeah, like this Dark Waters and Velvet Underground is sort of like the things in which like, um, you know, again, like these are films in which he is somewhat doing for like higher, well, the exception of Velvet Underground, which is like a passion project of like his favorite band and my favorite band. So, but yeah, like I, I kind of like You know, like the criticisms of uh, Haynes that people sometimes lodge at him, because, again, like his movies are about like femininity and like women stories and stuff like that is like, ah, and they're kind of cold and to a certain degree. There's a detachment is like, ah, look at Haynes. He's playing with his dolls again. And to a certain extent, like he, he is here. But I do think like he's doing so with a lot more depth and uh, nuance um, and showing off that he's an incredibly uh, perceptive filmmaker. Well, it sounds like we'd all recommend this one. It's on Netflix. I mean, I, I at this point, by the time people listen to this, I don't think it's still going to be playing in theaters. Everyone that I've heard talk about it that saw it in a theater like really liked that experience. So I think it's. I think we should be encouraging Netflix to put more of their stuff in theaters. So uh, if you have the chance, definitely do it because it sounds like it's especially when, like when it all. It seems like, and I could I could see this even though I didn't see it get in theaters. But it sounds like when people the audiences are on the same page and are like laughing at the right spots, it's actually like a fun movie going experience. So uh, if you can It do sounds that, like but if smart salt burst. That's an interesting way to put it. Uh, if but like I, it, you get regardless, like you can all watch watch on Netflix now. So really easy to check out, and I think we all uh, really recommend it. Um, Andrew, before we get out of here, is there anything you'd like to recommend to the listeners? Other stuff you've been watching recently, as you've been, you know been able to chill out for the holidays. Oh boy. Um, I can go to I can go to Josh and come back yeah, to go you if to you Josh. want a second. Go to Josh first. <laughs> Josh, what else have you been watching recently? Oh, Or by the way, she once recommended a therapist to me. So, <laughs> um, if Oh you yeah, can, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. So as of late, you know, I've been just kind of binging, <laughs> catching up with uh, end of the year movies and old mm. stuff too. So, um, last great things I watched, like something old or oldish. I saw Margaret for the first time. Uh, Kenneth Lonergan's like post nine eleven. That's an awesome Um, movie. coming of age epic that was pretty good and then um recent stuff that i've liked uh, i saw poor things that was fun i saw renaissance you know uh like honestly the renaissance stock would be a good double feature with the killer just because um both her and david fincher are addicted to process precision <laughs> um and so yeah I also saw Poor Things in theaters, loved it, thought it was so good. And then Gage recently showed me, I believe it's a 2007 film, 
let's see. Yeah, 2007, Smiley Face with Anna Ferris, directed by Greg Araki. Um, Never heard of that. It was really fun. It's like a it's like a stoner comedy. Like Anna Faris eats a bunch of uh, pot cupcakes, but doesn't realize they're pot cupcakes. And then she's too stoned, but she has a whole bunch of stuff she has to do throughout the day. It's actually like very anxiety inducing. <laughs> but like I've had nightmares like it before. Actually, um, two things like a like that movie was like, like my friends in college. They were like huge fans of Smiley Face um, and also Greg Araki and Todd Haynes are like buddies. Like they're both part of the new queer cinema like movement. And also like uh, when Todd Haynes was promoting this movie, it was um, uh, Greg Araki who was doing the Q&A at the DGA for him. Oh, so. nice. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess I have watched a lot of stuff for the last couple of weeks, but I'll keep it short. I on we're recording this on a Friday. On Tuesday, I saw the Iron Claw, which you know I and I, I I've seen people that aren't aren't even sports people like that really just dig the movie. But it's a you know it's it's a wrestling movie about a, a family that was big in wrestling in the seventies and eighties and early nineties, and things didn't go well for a lot of them. And that's all I'll say. Uh, but like you know, it's a, a great Zac Efron performance and a really great Hope McElnaney performance as like the patriarch of this family. And uh, just you know, the wrestling scenes are all like incredibly well done, but just all really good performances. And uh, I'm not going to say it's a good time at the movies, but I think it's a it's a movie you can get really engaged in. Uh, and I really appreciated it. And we'll be doing a podcast on it at some point. Haven't figured that one out yet. So uh, yeah, before we get out of here, uh, you guys want to plug anything personally, Josh? What's going on with your social medias right now? Okay, I got my photography account, Brown Film Back Collective. up and running? Yeah, and then I got um, a letterbox, uh, JKB1626, where sometimes it's great, like, when I'm too lazy to write something, and if I'd done an episode with you, I'd be like, all right, let me just put the link to the pod here. So that's what I did for Killers of the Flower Moon. Ah, well, I appreciate that. You know, that's that's on me to, like, you know, get the episodes out quicker so people can do that when they post the reviews, but which I try and do you know as much as i can but you know uh there you go uh andrea where can people find you on letterboxd if that's what you want to promote yeah i'm uh i'm on letterboxd i am amdea a-m-d-e-a and uh yeah i don't have a whole lot of other social media (laughs) follow me on letterboxd that's okay that's the important one as usual i'm josh jernavoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterboxd and i actually updated like three months worth of letterboxd in the last week while i've just been sitting around uh during my days off from work so i'm all the way up to date through october so and i already have some stuff written up through november and december i haven't posted so people will soon be able to like actually see my thoughts on everything if they are but you know they should hope you, they should hopefully be listening anyway uh and then uh podcast twitter is at real movie pod podcast email is around movie pod at gmail.com uh, coming up next on the podcast, we are going to do an episode on uh, Wonka. We are going to do episodes on uh, Poor Things and uh, Ferrari. And like I said, Iron Claw at some point. Again, I just hard, I don't have any idea of the order of that stuff yet. So uh, just when are we doing Anatomy of Fall? All right. Like I did the research for you on that one. Oh, yeah, I know you fell. Good. Ha 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 ha. i'm waiting on one of my lawyer friends to see that one but if if it gets nominated for an oscar and the lawyer friend doesn't see it you're gonna get drafted to talk about it so at least it won't be like homework for you like when you've got i'm pretty sure you've gotten dragged into finishing out the best picture reviews for me before on stuff that you weren't as big on uh so like at least this will be one i know you like but i'm trying to get my prosecutor friend to do it yeah i I know i'm ready like your color purple guy uh i i mean like you said it not me so i mean like we'll see though uh i i mean i 
I, I I haven't seen that movie yet, so I don't I don't want to say anything about it. But like, yeah, I mean, there's a chance I might need to do an episode on it. One so, of Obama's favorites. Uh, oh, really? I did not see that he. I I think I did see he had posted some of his stuff. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, everyone has all that to look forward to. I want to thank Josh and Andrea for joining me, and I want to thank all of you for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>